From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, May 20th, 2019, the day after um, the PGA Championship won by Brooks Kepka. If it is um, after a major, that means Sean Davidson's on the show. Hello, sir. Good, a good, good evening. Jeremy, are you uh, are you just copying and pasting that line about after Brooks Kepka wins the major? Because I feel like that might be what you're doing at this point. Yeah, four out of eight's not bad. Four in twenty three months ain't bad. All right. You know, you're a Florida State guy. You covered this guy. You watched this guy. You knew he had potential. Um, it, it, it took a while. But lo and behold, uh, he has exploded here. And it's funny, Sean. I was um, I had no plans two weeks ago. And I watched a lot of the third and fourth rounds of the AT&T Byron Nelson. And Brooks just looked better. He looked bigger. He looked like himself. He had put back on weight and muscle. Um, he looked healthy. He was swinging great. If his putter had cooperated just a little bit over the weekend, he probably would have won that golf tournament instead of Sun Kang. And he just looked like himself. And I picked him. And on every show and on every podcast I did leading up to uh, Thursday morning, I said, this is this is this is Brooks's tournament to lose, really. And lo and behold, Birdie's the first hole he plays, and the rest is history. What an absolutely surreal, um, uh, surgical performance with some drama on Sunday from Brooks to get four out of eight. You know, not only did Brooks make you look good after you went on all the podcasts, radio shows, and picked them. My man's been making me look good for the last couple of years. Yes. You know, I knew he was special, like you mentioned, but, you know, it, it's been cool to see a guy that I've seen the potential in ever since one day back when our time at FSU overlapped by a year. You know, I, I could look out the corner of my eye and see him hitting balls on the range, and, you know, I, I've mentioned it time and time again on your show, you know, with his career as a pro, you know, how if you just listen to him through impact, it just makes a different sound. You know, that was clear back when I was out at the Seminole Golf Club in uh, Tallahassee listening to him on the driving range. You know, I shared a putting green with him. That's on the top line of my resume. Hire me, please. Um, But, you know, the dude just, you could tell. And I could tell the same thing with Daniel Berger. Um, Now, same deal here. Look, I never expected to see Brooks win four out of eight majors. And I certainly didn't expect to see that from Daniel Berger as well. I just knew both of those guys had fantastic-looking golf games that were going to suit them well for a very long period of time. Um, And and lo and behold, both were on the leaderboard this weekend. Um, But what Brooks has done and the way he's transformed as a golfer and as just, I I hate to use the words, but there's really no other way to put it, as a physical specimen, the dude went from being this scrawny kid at FSU to being this, like, built, you know, bulky machine almost. Where, I mean, my goodness, we're obsessing over how much weight he's lost before Augusta. And, you know, now, as you mentioned, he looked a whole lot better after the Masters. And, I mean, he's in perfect shape. He hits the ball nine miles. The putting has improved drastically. I, I mean, if you watched any of what he did at the AT&T Byron Nelson, you know, he was just a few putts away. And for some reason, his game 
is razor sharp, especially of late in these major championships. And he did it again. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun to watch this guy that I saw as recently as a handful of years ago in Tallahassee uh, transform himself physically, mentally, and just become the complete package that we're all enjoying today. It's been awesome. He gained 34. uh, Wow. If he gained 34 strokes from the field, T to green, that would have been something. He gained 17 strokes, T to green, on the field for the week. It was just incredible the the ball striking performance those first two days to put him in position to make the putts for birdie we'll 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 get to sunday in a second but uh really it was just um the way he struck it the distance he got his fade back he missed it in the right spots he got good breaks when he hit it in the rough but he hit a lot of fairways um, 9 out of 14 the first day, 7 out of 14 on day 2 when he went 63-65. He did everything right that you had to win in a U.S. Open-like setup. He sure did. And now he gets to try to three-peat at Pebble. I mean, the dude's game is really rounding a corner. It looks like everything is in fine form at just the perfect time. You know, we've got a major every single month now over the next couple of months. And you know, this really tunes up perfectly for him. You know, I was just looking at his statistics and major championships, and, you know, I had to do a double take because the worst he's finished in any of the four majors, you know, if you look at his best finish in each of the four, the worst is a T6 at the Open Championship. And frankly, you know, I remember being on your show and saying that I thought the first one he would win because of his time playing in Europe would be an Open yeah. Championship. I think that's just a matter of time before he gets that done and that, that I, you know we saw at Augusta even when you know maybe he was still trying to get that weight back and even when he was still physically not quite where he is now gave Tiger a run and if not for a mistake on 12 he very well could be wearing a green jacket now as well so it's not yeah 1-2-1 one, one in his last three majors ain't bad exactly exactly four out of the last eight wins and then the second at Augusta I mean my goodness the results even if he's not winning of late for Brooks Koepka in some of the biggest tournaments in the world have been stunning. And 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 besides that, um, I forgot what I was I was going to say. I totally for, I, I, I I had such a great point, Sean, and I totally forgot what I was going to say. Oh yes, no, uh, uh, to the point about uh, the Open. Ricky Elliott is caddy. Is from Royal Port Rush. He grew up two minutes from the place. So, I mean, if there's anybody this side of Rory and Graham McDowell Taylor made to win that, that Open Championship, it's, 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 it's uh, Brooks Kepka as long as Ricky Elliott can just stay upright between now and then. Yeah, exactly. A guy who doesn't need any leg up on the field to beat them anyway. <laughs> yes. Just a leg up on the field. Yes, yes, which is hilarious. Um, Sunday was interesting. You know, big leads. There's never been a, a, a 54, a, sorry, a 7 shot lead between first and second loss in PGA Tour history, which is a remarkable stat because, as I've said to people in the last 24 hours, that includes everything from the Sanderson Farms where you get a, a, a chicken as your trophy or, you know, the Masters with green jackets and, and all the history and lore behind that. There's a lot of tournaments that fall into that, and nobody in PGA Tour history has ever blown a three-shot lead, uh, sorry, seven-shot lead, but the wind's gusted. 
And you and I both know from watching a lot of golf, winds do weird things to people. And those gusts started gusting. Balls were dropping out of the sky, flying too far like on 14 when the wind just died on him. And he missed it by three clubs. Um, he put himself in some bad... I, I thought, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll just tee this up for you, Sean, and you can run with it from there. I thought um, when he hit the shot to a foot on 10, I thought, this is over, this is done. And then he just hit some bad shots, ended up in some places you can't hit it. And the wind hurt his claws. And four straight bogeys later, we had a golf tournament. You know, the thing that's interesting about how Brooks has won each of his four major championships is that he's won them all different, you know? If you go back to 2017 at Aaron Hills, he came from behind with Brian Harmon leading after 54 holes. 2018, he was part of a gaggle of guys tied to the lead after 54 and sort of emerged from the pack. The PGA last year, he played great and needed to play great just to hold off Tiger Woods. He didn't blink. He made a bunch of putts, and he needed to make every single one of them off Tiger. And then this year, the game goes south on him on Sunday. And he does just enough, makes just enough of those putts, gets up and down just enough, and scratches out a score that's just good enough to hang on. So he's proven that he can dominate. He's proven that he can hang on. He's proven that he can outlast some of the best. And he's proven that he can beat you from behind in each of these four major championships. And it just sort of goes to show that all these quotes and all these statements from him about how mentally tough he is and how he doesn't need you know, any psychiatric help or psychological help, you know, he's, it, those aren't just things that he's saying to make it sound good. He, he really believes it. And he's not only talking the talk, but he's walking the walk. And yeah, you made up a you made a great point. You know, when the wind picks up, especially in a major championship, it does weird things to guys. And you know, I, I'm not. I, I think it would be irresponsible for me to to place some onus on Harold Varner and how he played. But I think there's certainly an element of when you're playing with a guy who doesn't have a lot going right, it can kind of seep into your own golf game as well. And I want to tip my cap to Harold Varner because in a spot like that to shoot the score he shot on Sunday and to still be smiling, you know, that's yes. incredible. I think he's got some great golf ahead of him, and I think we're starting to see what HB3 is capable of. And to be walking down a fairway asking a security guard what he thought of Drake. Exactly. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it was that big of a drain, but, you know, for instance, when he's not playing all that great, you're taking time out of what you're doing to go over and help him find a golf ball at one point. You know, it, it can be moderately distracting at times. And, you know, Harold's not trying to do that. Harold's trying to play well. He's trying to, you know, make that kind of charge that DJ ended up making. But, you know, that can play a part in it. The weather can play a part in it. It being a tough golf course that found its teeth on the weekend plays a part in it. And when everything combines together, all of a sudden you're starting to feel some pressure that you might not have felt. And that's going to play a part in it. But the big part for me is that he found his answers. Even when things went south, he was able to steady the ship on some really tough holes. 15 being the point where I thought, okay, I think he's going to be all right. Because when he piped that drive down 15, it seemed like that was the moment where Brooks started to steady his ship. And it happened for him at the perfect time because that's when DJ started to skid a little bit and he started to rebuild that cushion. So, yeah, Brooks held on. But for me, even more so than the part where he started to have the wheels wobble off the wagon, if you will, was the fact that he was able to lock himself back in, refocus, recommit, and settle himself back down. 
And, and, and beyond that, Sean, two things. Number one, the fans turned on him and started yelling DJ. I, I don't think it was anything anti-Brooks. I, my, my take on that was just they wanted drama. And if DJ was going to give us drama, let's go DJ. And, and you know, you know. Plus, as 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 Brooks said, it's New York. When you're half choking, obviously they're going to turn on you. Um, number two, he admitted afterwards that that helped him refocus. So, if the New York fan, if this had been Augusta, and you've got all niceties going on here, who knows what would have happened? Um, come the final stretch, if 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 he doesn't. Um, if those fans don't don't uh, jeer him like that, and 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 that, and that drive on fifteen set the tone, played the smart shot on sixteen, smart shot on seventeen, and away they went, even with the bunker instance on eighteen. Um, I want to get to DJ here because I was asked this morning when I appeared on the Moral Mornings uh, radio program on ESPN Radio nine eight nine F nine eight nine AM Charles. I think it's 98.9 FM, Charleston. Let, uh, let me clarify that. But it's ESPN Radio Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I was asked what to make of DJ. And I said, I don't know. Because here's a guy who's played great in majors, has a slew of strong finishes, yet only has one major. And yes, he birdied 15 all four days and became the first player... Um, in in any of the th- of of the three majors hosted at Bethpage Black to birdie fifteen all four days, which a lot of locals will tell you is the hardest hole on the golf course. So to be able to pull that off is a heck of a feat. But on sixteen, he goes long when when you cannot afford to go long and have no way of stopping it there. And on seventeen, um, you know, hits it long as well, and then on 18 loses any shot with his, with his tee shot of, of trying to hit it close. Um, I don't know what to make of DJ. Your thoughts? You know, DJ and Brooks, in terms of their strength and what they can do to a golf ball, are such similar guys. Yes. Now, not to mention their demeanors and the fact that they're workout buddies and so on and so forth. They're best friends. They vacation together. Uh, by the way, it is 98.9 FM Charleston. It's also available on 94.7 FM and 910 AM. Sorry about that. Just had to put that in there. No, absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, but they're such similar guys, you know, and, and they're built similarly. Fantastic athletes. Um, and here's the deal. Dustin played well enough to win himself a PGA championship. He ran into a buzzsaw with Brooks and even so nearly chased him down and beat him anyway. Um, you know, we've talked plenty of times about Jordan Spieth, and heck, you could even say Jordan Spieth, if DJ and Brooks aren't in the field, played well enough to complete the career grand slam this past weekend. And this was a huge, hugely encouraging weekend for Jordan Spieth. Gained, okay. ten, gained 10 strokes on the greens this week, Sean, since 04 when strokes gained uh, stats matter besides the events and courses that don't have shot length. That is the best strokes gained putting performance of his entire career. I mean, you got it. You know, the stats speak for themselves. You know, I'll get to Jordan in just a second, but Brooks certainly has all the tools, and DJ certainly does as well. And, you know, for me, I'm encouraged to see DJ playing so well. You know, he finished tied for second with Brooks 
at Augusta. Now he finishes second to Brooks at the PGA, and he's quickly building that portfolio, as you mentioned, of being a guy who plays really well in all of these major championships. And you have to think the way he's played so well, especially in recent years, uh, week in, week out, is a mainstay at world number one. Of course, Brooks taking over at that mark here this week. Something big is coming for Dustin once again. It seems like his game is in the right place. Yeah, maybe some mental miscues, maybe a little adrenaline pumping as you birdie 15, as you got the crowd chanting your name, as it seems like, oh my gosh, could I really be doing this right now? And you're pumped up and you airmail a couple of greens and then all of a sudden you have to be aggressive on 18. And, you know, you play a tough golf course like Beth Page Black and you start to play it aggressively and you can get yourself in trouble easily. I know you're from around there. You've been out there. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble out on a course like that uh, when you're overly aggressive. And, and, you know, I think 18 was more circumstantial. Uh, 16, 17 might have been more adrenaline-based. But he's close. He's real close. And I think it's going to be a really intriguing rest of the season if he continues to play the way he does, if Brooks continues to play the way he does, and if Tiger can work in some tournaments before some of these other majors come in not so rusty and play the way he did at Augusta. Watching those three with the likes of Rory, if Rory can continue the fine form that he showed at TPC, uh, if Jordan Spieth can start surging again, maybe this week is something that can start it up for him. I mean, we've been saying this for such a long time, Jeremy. Golf is in such a wonderful place right now with a lot of guys who have a lot of star power. And I think Dustin is primed to win another one and multiple um, if, if the cards fall the right way. And beyond that, um, I just think that that Tiger never got over the uh, – um, he, he didn't care to me. Tiger didn't care. We're, we're, we're talking to Sean Davidson here on teeing it up about the, uh, the uh, PGA Championship won by Bruce Koepka. Um, he didn't care. He, he didn't put a lot of effort into his, uh, in, in, in his practice grind. Um, he skipped Wednesday because he got sick. I put that in quotes. He clearly did not physically feel well on Friday. Um, I just don't think he cared. And I think he has to play Memorial. And I think a reset here of, all right, now let's gear up for Pebble. And let's go back this the right way. If the body lets him do it the right way, um, is a lot better. But this in Firestone last year, the only two times that I've ever seen him um, not... Um, not not give it um, his all, which is shocking that that it happens to Tiger, but it does. But golf is in a very good place, as you said. If you can get um, things back in order, what did you think of Beth Page setup wise? Um, only six guys finished under par. Matt Kuchar and uh, and uh, Rory at one over got backdoor top tens through strong play over the weekend. What was your take on Beth Page as the venue? You know, you mentioned it right there. With so few guys finishing under par, I thought it was a very good, comprehensive, and stern test from the PGA, where if you look at some of the previous venues and some of the previous uh, leaderboards, where in a lot of different cases, you would see more of the shootout-type PGA Championship format. And, you know, with Brooks going out there and blitzing a really tough golf course, it made it look like that golf course, at least to a casual viewer, was playing a lot like other PGA Championship venues, but I thought it was—I thought the course looked fantastic. I thought it was tough. 
I thought it was a really good comprehensive test of everybody's golf game. And you know what? When you look at who's played well in majors and in the big events and overall over the past couple of years, the guy that you'd point to and say, yeah, he's been playing the best, he's the guy who walked out with the trophy. So if you're looking at all those different parameters of a good test and a good golf course, I think that page really did hit the mark in every single aspect. And what's interesting to me also, if, 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 if we back up for a second, too, I think a lot of people um, wanted to, to know, would, would, would they go hard? Would it be over par? Whatever. If you throw out those two scores, you've got two under par winning this thing. And I think most of us thought two to five under par would win. And if the wins are down, third place is probably somewhere around four, five, six under par. It sounded about right. Brooks was just that much better. And I, I, I thought Kerry Haig did a great job. I thought the setup was fair. Um, I think they might have changed a couple things when they saw how, how, how brisk the wind was. But just, just crazy. Just absolutely crazy um, conditions. And... Um, on Sunday, but I, I thought they did a heck of a job. What is your going away take? Because um, there's some interesting guys who ended up on this leaderboard. Um, you've got Matt Wallace, who you and I have talked about off and on as that European guy. Is he the next European? Well, he comes up and gets a third place finish. Patrick Cantley bounces back from just an awful master's finish where you hit it in the one place you can't hit it on 16 all the stuff that he had on 17 all that stuff to to to, to get a tie for third sung kang wasn't even in this field now he or, or, well sorry he got in because somebody withdrew but now he's in and lo and behold he makes the most of it as does luke list and you go down this list i think what's really interesting to me is guys who have now shown up on major championship leaderboards consistently include Matt Wallace and Xander Shoffley. And I bring those two names up because they're not going to get a lot of prep, uh, 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 press, but Matt Wallace could be that next great young European and Xander could be that next young American that it takes one, two, three, four wins, especially on U.S. Soto, to finally realize, oh, he is actually really good. Yeah, and I, I do want to add to that point that you made because I, I completely agree on both Matt Wallace and on Xander. You know, Patrick, as you mentioned, a lot of people forget Patrick Cantlay led the Masters after 69 holes. I mean, he was the solo leader at Augusta after an eagle on 15. Um, now he does this at the PGA. He's stringing together high finishes and majors. He is trending in the right direction. A guy who, as you mentioned, backdoor top tens, who seems to be surfacing on leaderboards, especially in big tournaments more often, Gary Woodland, who, like Brooks and like DJ, is a tremendous athlete. I mean, well-conditioned, and with some of the stuff that Gary has been through in his life, you know, it was well-documented how he and his wife lost one of their twins, and I mean, I... I you go out to a golf tournament and you watch Gary Woodland. Not only is his game impressive, but the way he handles himself, interacts with fans, interacts with his competitors. He has a fantastic grasp on life and golf and the perspective with which you know to live in both of those worlds. And 
that's the kind of guy who at some point in time, even though a lot of people might be taken aback by it, he's played well in major championships, and he very well might end up winning one of these things soon, simply because he's just, he, he checks all the boxes, and he quietly does it. And he did it again, finishing tied for eight at Beth Page. So he's another really interesting one that I personally will be keeping an eye on, not just because I like him as a person, but because he really does play a great, he really has a great game all the way around. And uh, and he'll be fun to watch as well. But yeah, seeing some of these youngsters surfacing on leaderboards time and time and time again, it bodes well for the future of the game. You know, and, and it's also to sort of counter that, it's really cool to see the likes of Matt Kuchar playing so well this year. Adam Scott finished in the top 10 at the PGA. This is a guy who years ago, whenever he had to go away from the anchored putting stroke, really struggled on the greens, and his game struggled overall for a little period of time. Now he is surfacing on major championship leaderboards again. And he hit putts this weekend without the flagstick in, which was shocking. I, I, I thought my TV was broken. Yeah, true. He was one of the guys that embraced that methodology of leaving the flagstick in on every single putt from the moment the season began. But, I mean, there's so many intriguing names on that leaderboard. You mentioned a few of them. Um, there's so many guys who, at this point in time, could win the Open Championship or could win the U.S. Open. And I couldn't say that I'd be particularly shocked. No, and, and what is uh, really interesting is if you look at the official World Golf Ranking Top 10, and, and, and you actually, this is why we're so good on the air together, because you kind of led into my next question of, 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 of what else stuck out to you from this weekend. And my next question is going to be, what does this mean for Pebble? And I don't even know what this means for Pebble. Excuse me. You know, they, 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 they have brought the fairways in. The rough is up. Phil has got to hit more fairways because all the ball's embedded when he won in February. He's getting free drops everywhere. And um, if you look at the guys in the leaderboard, Brooks drives it straight when he's on. Um, DJ drives it straight when he's on. Justin Rose drives it straight but didn't really play well this week. Rory... When he's on, he's on. When he's off, though, he's off. Justin Thomas, who knows how his wrist is. Uh, TW, who knows what Tiger will be at any given week. Francesco, it seems to fit his game on per on, on uh, perfectly. Bryson, it's a pebble can, is a thinking man's golf course, but can you overthink it? And and he didn't play well this week either. And then you get to uh, Xander and 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 Ricky Fowler to to uh, top off the top ten. Another golf course that would seemingly fit Ricky's game, especially if it's firm and fast and his distance gap isn't an issue. But I have honestly no idea who's going to win Pebble. It's not that long golf course, and if it's playing firm and fast, it brings in a lot of people. And I go to a name like Paul Casey. I go to a name like Webb Simpson. I go to a name... um, just looking further down here, Kevin Kisner played awful this week, but it's that kind of golf course where a grinder who hits a lot of fairways and a lot of greens can win. Also, Brooks can win, but will Brooks hit enough fairways to be able to win? That's the question. You bring up a great point. You know, this is not going to be the same pebble that we watched Phil 
on multiple occasions go out there and shoot ridiculous numbers on. Yes. You know, it bodes well for him to be on the same track, but he even said it himself in the post-round interview with Peter Costas this year when Peter asked him, what does this win do for you carrying over into the U.S. Open that'll be on the same golf course this year? He said it himself. Nothing, really. <laughs> Nothing. You know, it, it, it's going to be an entirely different track. Um, you know, I would certainly, if he's hitting more fairways by that point, put Phil Mickelson on the short list. I think it's, I don't want to say it's his last real legitimate shot, but it's, at his age, getting closer and closer to PJ Tour champion status, you know, how many more shots is he going to realistically get? He's playing reasonably well enough that I would say on that course, there has to be some element to it that I think he might stand a particularly good shot. You know, Tiger Woods, what he did there in 2000, nobody will ever forget. You know, through a couple of days. He's not the same golfer, though. We're drawing that same comparison to Brooks at the PGA this year. Oh, I totally agree, but Tiger's not the same person. I, 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 this is a pet peeve of mine. And, and, and it's not you, sorry, that, sorry, sorry. Let, 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 let me stop and regroup. If you're saying that Brooks this week was like Tiger in 2000, totally agree. There are some, though, that are putting Tiger as a favorite um, for, for, this, for this U.S. Open because of 2000 and even the finish in 2010. To me, that's complete BS. He's a completely different golfer than he was in 2000 and 2010. Yeah, Jeremy, it, it, just for context sake, back in 2000, I was seven. So, <laughs> and now I have a master's degree. Yes. So, I mean, that, that's, that's all that kind of needs to be said on that. Um, but in terms of guys who play well there and who have played well there in previous U.S. Open setups, um, he is one of those guys that has the longevity in his career and the background on that golf course where naturally you would put him on the short list. Putting him as the betting favorite, especially after the way he played at Bet Page, seems a little aggressive and unrealistic. Um, but it would not shock me if he went out there and played well and had himself on the leaderboard on Sunday. Um, so, it, again, it just sort of goes to that point where you could point in any number of different directions. And, you know, it's been a while since I've said this, and it's going to be fun to say it, but here's the deal. If Jordan Spieth can play Tita Green the way he played at Bethpage, and if he can putt the way he did at Bethpage, that dude is going to factor into the equation yeah. at Neville. And he knows those greens, and he knows those greens recently. And that's the one thing that I think can carry over from February is on those greens that they've redone in recent years, the guys who have played the Pro-Am every year at least have a greens book and at least have a yardage book that is accurate. There is going to be a learning curve for some people who have not played the Pro-Am who now need to relearn greens like 13, 14, and 17, which have been expanded. That new tee on, I think it's 10 that they're considering using for some of the days that will give it a different angle. That's, I think, where Spieth has an advantage. He has won this golf tournament in recent years. He has contended in recent years. Uh, the rest, I would totally throw out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. All right. Um, is there anything else from Beth Page that you want to bring up? Uh, not really. You know, it, it, the beauty and the curse of Brooks winning these tournaments time and time again is that, you know, despite doing them in a different fashion, you know, there's not a whole lot really new to discuss about Brooks. He's not sexy. He just goes about his business and does his work and doesn't change his, his facial expression. And it's it's workmanlike, it's businesslike, and he's doing this all without an equipment deal. And 
Jonathan Wall of, of Golf Magazine has a great piece that I highly recommend for anybody. He went around and, fi- and, and asked, um, uh, what would it take to get Brooks to sign an equipment deal right now? And, and the, the, the bottom line is it would take like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates level money. Um, he's, he's, he, has, he has no reason to sign an equipment deal with the way he's playing. Um, it, it, and Jeremy, that's a great point. I'm, I'm going to add on to that because I've been saying ever since Jordan Speed signed his Under Armour contract and his AT&T contract and you know the corporate contract but never signed a club deal, that that was one of the most ingenious things I had ever seen. Yeah. Because he could play the clubs that he wants to play. And look at how well it served him early on in his career. And I get it that he hasn't played particularly great of late. But if you look at everybody's career uh, on the PGA Tour, there's going to be periods where things don't go completely perfectly for them. And that's putting it lightly. And he's had a tough time, but it looks like, you know, just to piggyback off of that, you know, Jordan Spieth has done a brilliant job of running his race and staying on his path, regardless of what it's looked like, regardless of how big the struggles have seemed. He's really been candid, honest, and committed to what he's working on and has kept a really positive perspective through it all. If and anyone has not heard the No Laying Up interview with him from, a, from about six weeks ago, highly recommend it. It is stunning how open he was about his struggles, and, 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 and refreshingly so. Exactly. And there's something, I, I don't want to use the word positive because I just use it, but there's something overwhelmingly great, and I like the word you use, refreshing, about it. And, um, you know, he, it's good to see him back, and just to go back to that initial endorsement contract he signed with Under Armour, I thought it was brilliant. And I think that itself is something that will serve him well for time to come. And I think it really did set a wonderful blueprint in place for a lot of guys who, when Nike folded its golf club company, to really follow that blueprint and just play the clubs that they are comfortable playing and not sacrifice feel for the almighty dollar. And you mentioned at this point in time, the four-time major champion, Brooks Kepka is not going to be struggling for money anytime ever. So at this point in time, it would be reckless to sign away a contract to play a particular manufacturer's clubs uh, if you're playing a different type now, and it's one of four majors. Um, so I agree with you completely there. And you know, the other thing that I that I want to say about Beth Page is. Uh, by the way, just 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 one quick thing. Jordan Spieth yeah. does have a Titleist endorsement deal. It's it, it's not well publicized, and he's played Titleist clubs forever. And he, like Justin Thomas, have basically said these are you know these are the only things I know. Uh, there's there's no reason for me to change. But he technically does have a Titleist contract. I just wanted to clarify that. But that but to your point, the blueprint of making your main sponsor. Somebody who's not your equipment manufacturer is a huge upside for him. Oh, absolutely. Um, but and here's the other thing I want to mention about Brooks, and, and, and I want to allude to what Jim Nance was saying on the air. You know, that one felt different, you know, and the yeah. fact that he went out and played with Tiger two days. And, you know, Tiger's the guy that moves the needle. He is the needle. People will tune in specifically to watch Tiger and to see Brooks playing alongside him beat him in such a way that I'm not sure we've seen anybody do it when Tiger is playing in the major championships of the year. He's won a major championship. I, I mean, it, it really felt 
like, I don't want to say it was the passing of a torch or the passing of the guard. I think that's reckless. I think it's, you know, I think that's off the mark because I think we should let Brooks be Brooks and not label him as the next anybody else other than Brooks Kepka. But to see him play alongside a guy that a lot of folks have idolized for a very long time, and maybe folks just because of that watched him intently for the first time, it felt different, you know? And because he had to hang on when the game went south, he expended more emotion and showed more emotion coming down the stretch than we're accustomed to. Uh, the fist pump on 18, uh, that was a huge fist pump. Usually, you know, he'll give it the, the tip of the cap, and, you know, he didn't even let uh, himself have the stage a year ago at the PGA. He just brushed the putt in, tipped the cap, went over, gave Ricky a hug, gave his family a hug, and marched off to scoring. Um, but this time it felt like he was able to soak in the moment. He was able to take the step back, breathe it in, and, and really relish it. And it, it just sort of seemed like this one meant more to him, and this one meant more to the fans who are watching. Because at this point in time, when you're talking about a dude winning four out of the last eight, it's kind of hard to ignore the way he's playing. And then, of course, the way he played in this particular major spoke volumes and the way he held on and the way he showed emotion coming down the stretch, I really don't think it could have been more perfect for Brooks. You know, it was stressful, but I really don't think in terms of his image, not that he's ever done anything bad, it's just he's sort of flown under the radar. Um, I I think everything was just perfect for him this weekend and, and good for him. You know, he's a dude that I like a lot as a person, and he's got a phenomenal golf game, and, I, and I've been hoping that people would embrace him for a while. And, and I, I find it almost impossible that people could not embrace him at this point. Um, but that's really cool. And, and I just want to say this, too. You know, if there's any young golfers who are out there or kids that are getting really close to finishing up their college careers or, you know, anybody who might be flirting with the idea of going pro and doesn't know where to go, the model that Brooks Kepka and Peter Uline use going over to Europe and playing over there, really, I, I thought that was ingenious as well. Uh, and if you look at what Brooks has done in his career, if you go back to his time on the Challenge Tour, he won in Scotland, he won in Italy, he won in Spain. You go to the European Tour, and he also won in Turkey. He's won the Dunlop Phoenix in Japan a couple of times. He became number one in the world for the first time by winning in Korea, and then you add in all the wins in the continental United States, by which I mean mostly major championships with the addition of Phoenix as well. Um, Look, the dude's won in seven different countries. He's played in all the different climates. He's seen all the different terrains, played uh, in and amongst different cultures. And, you know, I I have a lot of respect for that. And I hope that as the story is told more and more often, and there's some great uh, editorials that are out from Golf Digest and, and whatnot, on Brooks and his upbringing and his career and how it got started in Tallahassee and really caught fire there and, and how he plays with the chip on his shoulder and, and you know how he went to Europe. I really hope that that story is one that a lot of people develop more respect for because it's not easy to do that as a 21, 22, 23-year-old to pack up the bags and move halfway around the world and, and live out of a suitcase the way he did in Europe and Asia. Um, but he did it. And I think... Because he had to grow up so much in doing so, you're seeing the results of it now. And if there's any young golfers out there that are that close to be to becoming a pro in their own careers, frankly, that's what I would even recommend for them. 
you know, go out there, see the world, play against different people in different places, um, in and amongst different cultures, and really, you know, let the rubber meet the road. And, uh, you know, follow the Ketka blueprint. And I think that's something that we're going to see more young golfers do, and I think that's really cool. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see that versus the web.com tour and, and, and all the various PGA Tour pipelines, Latino America, the McKenzie Tour in Canada, etc. And we'll see how this dichotomy works itself out. Sean Davison, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up to recap the PGA Championship. Um, sorry for you, but I don't think it'll be a Brooks coronation at Pebble. I, it, it, it's a big ask, and I don't see that coming. Who do you pick? Um, I have no idea right now. <laughs> I think I like your Spieth logic. Um, so I'll say Spieth just for the sake of this, um, especially if he wins this week at, uh, at, 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 at uh, Colonial. But I just don't see Brooks. Maybe DJ avenging the, uh, the bad omens of 2010. Who knows? Um, thank you, sir. I appreciate it, as always. I appreciate it, Jeremy. Thanks. And thank you for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Have a good night, everybody.